Welcome to the Cracked Pots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Pet peeve. Yes. My pet peeve? Happy New Year's. When people add that S at the end, because it's really like one new year. Yeah, it's not. Not New Year's. Well, I think the problem is what you're supposed to say is Happy New Year's Eve with the apostrophe S as in it's the eve of the new year. But are you wishing people a Happy New Year's Eve? Because that's only like one know. day. I don't know. It's like, hey, I hope you have a great December <laughs> or happy 31st. Happy New Year's Day or Happy New Year's Day. Happy, Maybe. Yeah, I, I don't Maybe. know. I'm just trying to, you know. Well, justify come up, it. come up with some reason why we say that. I mean, I, you know. Des Moines. <laughs> Although legit, there is an S on the end of that. So. That's right. Same with Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. It's so. Illinois, not Illinois. So we're already off track. Hey, we're only made it in. We're in good shape. Um, but <laughs> this week was the come and see text. Right? Come and see. Pastor Chad and Rebecca get way <laughs> off track. Come and see. How long come does it take? Come and see the new year. Not the new years. Yes. <laughs> uh, come and see. Uh, yeah, so our, our text this week, we're, we're kind of beyond Christmas, just like that. Um, That's how it works, right? Yeah. Christmas is over, and, and, the shelves, all grown up. and the shelves get cleaned off. And, oh, yeah, and biblically, Jesus is all grown up right yep, away. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and Jesus, Jesus is all grown up now. So um, Christmas decorations are supposed to go away in two days, because, you know, Epiphany starts. Yeah. So we, we are entering a new church season this week. We coming. need an epiphany. We do. We do need We need an epiphany. Yeah. So one of my favorite scenes from the Simpsons movie is when Homer has the epiphany. <laughs> Which one? Um, the Simpsons movie. The Sim- oh, the Simpsons movie. Yeah, Homer is like, it's not, it's not Christian at all. He's like in the middle of the wilderness, and I think he... I think he meets like this. Oh, 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 the, oh, oh, oh okay. He has the, the, yeah. the, the sort of spiritual Yeah, the thing. spiritual epiphany yeah. thing going on. Yeah, okay. Now I remember. Yeah. Um, we are going to yeah. talk about the, the biblical text at some the, point. The, 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 John, uh, the John text, but uh, yeah, so. I will do anything to delay talking about the John text yeah, I know, and talk about the John Simpsons. Is so and... much your fave. So here, here's an interesting. On, this is actually an interesting tidbit about John. So I got a text message from a member of the congregation as I frantically scroll through my phone to try and find it, and of course I can't. Um, essentially, the text message was they had read something on John's gospel. And John essentially... The, the, the gist of the text message and the gist of whatever this person had read was that of all four Gospels, John is the one Gospel that really takes, and this is my language, not his, more of a God's eye view than a human view. Yeah, which is really, yeah. which, you know, I never really looked at it in those, in those terms, but it, I think it's true. And here's what's, here's what's even... Maybe more convicting of my disdain for John. <laughs> um, <laughs> disdain for John. Um, okay, that's a strong word. Gonna, my lack bolts are going to come down one of these yeah. days. You know, that. for my for my yeah, not for that. Um, <laughs> my my lack of affection for John's gospel. That's probably better than disdain. Okay, um, is that that concept of God 
being, you know, God's eye view and God being the one doing the acting is very Lutheran. Yes. So in terms of baptism, Lutherans believe in infant baptism because we do not believe it is our choice. It is our doing the our baptizing. Not it's our not work. our work. It's God's acting on our behalf. Same with the sacrament. You know, the sacraments in Lutheran theology are God doing the acting and not us, where in some other faith traditions, it's us doing, it's, it's us yeah. doing the acting. It's our response. Our response, yeah. So, so I, I found that a bit convicting. Consider that my confession. Okay. Moving uh, on. Come and see. And I guess I can absolve you or something. You could. That would be the <laughs> nice thing to do. Or you could just let me twist in the wind for a little while. I'll let you hang on the cross for a bit. Yeah, that works. As a instructor of mine used to say, sometimes you need to let Jesus hang on the cross for a while. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, things linger. So I, I think in general, I think letting things linger, um, those, those difficult theological... Um, tensions, letting them linger without resolving them right away is, 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 but isn't that it's part challenging, of the, isn't that but, part of the faith journey though anyway, is that you, you do have to a lot of times just let things linger and remain unresolved. Which um, brings us to the cranberries and their beautiful song, Let It Linger. Wow. Okay. So... <laughs> We are so not on track. <laughs> there was a gospel reading. There was a gospel reading. From yes. John. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. So, yeah, the, the text for this week was... Um, we immediately moved to John going, behold, the Lamb of God, and then Jesus offering, he's calling the disciples. He's calling the disciples um, and saying to them, you know, well, first the disciples are, 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 are like, so where are you staying? Just really an interesting kind of question. It's like, what's the first thing you ask the Messiah when you think you've maybe, come, you know, come into contact with them is, where are you staying? Uh, the Super 8. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, are you expecting the Four Seasons, you know? I'm not but... the Messiah, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. <laughs> yeah, that, where, where th are you staying? That is a really weird question. Isn't like, it? Like, oh my God, it's, it's the Messiah. Yeah, where you be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where, where, where are you staying? And, 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 and I suppose on a... Uh, because Did, okay, so you John's probably gospel. you it probably is, dug into that a lot more than I ever would. Is there any commentary that talks about why they asked that question? Yes. Okay. So, because so I, I didn't, the, I never dug into that. Well, and, and I'm not sure if it's even the commentary. I think this is somewhere I, I went with it at one point in time, and when I was studying it, but uh, I think I even gave a sermon at one one point on this. The, the the whole idea of you know where are you staying. Is is a disciple? You know, I, I think one take on this was that this is the disciples' um, desire to know where Jesus is. Where where is Jesus going to be? Where is he staying? Where where can they okay. find him? Where can they find him? Um, you know, so it's it's sort of it's sort of one of those things where it, it's like you find out a friend of yours is in town, and you want to oh, where are you staying? Yeah. We can, we can hang out later. Where, where, where are you going to be? Yeah. It's just that within the context of the way the whole thing's set up, it sounds kind of out, you know, it was like, what? Why would you ask that question? So my mind but, went to, where are you staying? You're the Messiah. It's got to be nice. Yeah. Like, 
Like, you're not staying at the Super 8. You're staying at, like, a high-class Four Seasons yep. in hotel because, terms. Because that's our logic. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wow, like, I went there. But I, I think it had more to do with a where can we find you? You know, where, 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 where are you going to be? That makes sense. And, and that, that desire of, of being able to, to go where he is, to be like, okay, well, where are you staying? You know, so let's get together. Let's, let's, yeah. let's, we need to be able to track you able, down. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we need to be able to know where to find you. That's fair. Ki- kind of idea. I like that explanation better than the one that came in my head. Yeah. Well, and, and, yeah, and, and then unfortunately, the kind of society we live in is why that is what springs right, to mind. Right. It is like, ooh, how nice are those accommodations? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I also, I really appreciate you asking the question or pointing out the question that Jesus asked this week. What do you want? Yeah, what do you want? What, do you what want are you for looking me? for? What are you looking for? You know, that made me feel, um, that, made, that really put a human side to Jesus for me. I mean, lots of things in the gospel make Jesus very human because uh, Jesus was um, human. human. Yeah. Um, but that, that response, so I got a text message, you know, that, about this a few weeks ago um, with an invitation. And my first question when I read that text message was, what do you want? Yes, yes. I was like, what do you, you okay. immediately suspicious. I'm like, clearly, what do you want? And so like for Jesus was like, what do you want? <laughs> because you know, we often what are you after? we often assume people have an agenda. Yeah, I don't. So having had this this meeting, there didn't appear to be an agenda. It was just a really a really good conversation that that. And it surprised you. You were like, "Wow!" I did. No I very much there, surprised. There, I was like, there, "Oh, uh, actually, you didn't. You, that that person really didn't actually want something from me." Right. Right. And it was yeah. yeah. But we but we have it when somebody asks them, well, "What do you want?" Especially yeah. something unexpected, like or when a certain person, yes, <laughs> when a certain person calls you, you immediately your first, you know, your kid calls you up and you and and you know once they're they're a little older or whatever, so, and your first question is, what do you want? So our, our, <laughs> our, our the only reason you're calling, right? You, what so do you our, want? our preschool director rolls into my office frequently, and it's never to sit down and say, "How was your weekend?" Yeah, it's never good. How are you doing? So my response often is, "What do you want?" <laughs> Actually, my response is just go away because I know this isn't good. What do you want? Yeah. I, I, again, we assume that people want something right out of the gate, which right. Jesus had that same assumption. What do you want? Yeah. So, so what are you looking? You know, well, you know, what are you looking for? Well, where are you staying? I, 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 so that that's the interplay that goes on. Is he says, so what are you looking for? And they're like, well. Where, where are you staying? Because <laughs> I, like, I really want to bring the list. Because this conversation is going to take a while. <laughs> you know, it would, so I wonder what would have happened on Sunday. We only had one service this week. On Sunday, if you would have stopped right at that question and said, hello, people in the pews. What are you looking, what are you looking for? Get out a piece of paper and write down, what do you want? What are you looking for? Because I, I think... Um, I think it's a really valid question this day and age as the church is in this, um, this place of, I don't want to say unsettled, because that's not, and church with a capital C. Change. It's a place of change. Right. It is. And, and it's always in cha- change, and in fl- but, but more so it seems at the moment than it ever 
kind of well, correct, not, it, not correct. ever has been, but in in recent history. And there's a lot of a lot of church thought leaders right now talking about that that four letter word change, um, and what that looks like, and and going as far as to say the churches and the leaders who are willing to accept, embrace, and and experiment with change will be the ones that are the strongest in the end. Right. Which I read those things, and I, ha- I happen to very strongly believe that that, believe that, that is true. Um, I read those things, and then I go into a panic because we're in a tradition. Yes, we're in a tradition that started the Reformation. <laughs> but um, kind of stopped there. <laughs> but we have not changed for 500 years. years. Um, and we're kind of proud of the fact that we haven't changed for 500 years. And we cling to the fact that we haven't changed for 500 but years. But haven't we? I mean, we have. Come on. For, for one thing, we don't all speak German anymore. Right. I so, mean, okay. so... So we've made yeah. some practical changes. Yeah. But in terms of real change within church and what church looks like. And let's be honest... Um, the Lutheran Church is not an evangelizing church. No. Well, um, and and the question being, why, why is that? And part of that is because we came out of a an environment um, where you basically it was a state religion. Uh, the the Luther the Lutheran Church was founded to become basically the state religion of Saxony, Germany. Um, and that, that was kind of, it, it was sort of a, you didn't have a whole lot of choice. It was that area became Lutheran and that was what you were going to be, yeah. period. Yeah. So, so our, our history, unfortunately, uh, is, is one of, yes, we, we reformed and we, we kind of broke away from, from the, the Catholic church, which was the dominant, you know, everybody was Catholic and Basically, all we did was just move move from okay, you're going to be this to you're going to be this now, right. um, and it wasn't about evangelizing. It wasn't about. It was just about this is what you are now. Period. Yeah, and and, and in this country, so one of our colleagues points mm-hmm. out, um, correctly points out that the Lutheran Church has experienced growth two times in our nation's history. Twice in our nation's history, we've seen a, a large influx. Of, Immigrants. L- of Lutherans. Number one. One, when we import them. Mm-hmm. So Lutherans come over from Europe. We saw a huge spike. And then when we make them, meaning the baby boom. Right. Um, so after the war, people are like, hey, I'm home. Honey, I'm home. And they made babies. Yes. And the church grew. Those are the only <laughs> times when the Lutheran church has seen a significant growth. Um, otherwise, we're kind of flat, which... Um, I don't know that importing Lutherans is a thing. <laughs> it's really what we want to do. And I don't know that um, the Lutheran Church should start a new campaign um, among families um, or among young people. <laughs> hey! Go have babies. Get your Lutheran on. <laughs> um, we need to grow the church. Let's have more babies. Um, not to mention, I mean, let's be honest, the Lutheran denomination is an aging denomination. Mm-hmm. So that makes even that ridiculous. That is a ridiculous idea 
to start a campaign to have Lutherans have more babies. But the, the age of our church makes it even more... A little um, more difficult. A little more uh, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, which, which, so this idea of, of come and see, this idea of an invitation is not exactly a Lutheran thing. Yeah, we're, we're not big into inviting too, too often. Uh, and, and, and to be fair, sometimes you have to read the room in terms of who you're inviting and when and, and things like that. Um, because, sadly, uh, the, the Christian church has done a lot of damage to a lot of people. Sure. Um, and so sometimes the invitation is not always... Again, it's the what's your agenda. Yep. It's the, it's the what's your agenda. Why, why are you doing this? Why are you trying to, you know, convert me to, to whatever it is you're, you're peddling? Yeah. Um, well, and I don't, I don't know that most Lutherans can answer that question for themselves. I think that's one of the struggles we have. Which question? Why, like, what, like why you believe, why faith is important, okay. and why you show up on Sunday beyond what's just what we do. Like, I think, I think many people have a difficult time articulating those two things. And if you can't articulate it for yourself, you can't sell it to someone else. Correct. Right? So if you have, you know, this, um, this travel coffee mug, this lovely travel coffee mug that I have. I love this mug because I can make tea at, I don't drink coffee, I know that's un-Lutheran. I can make tea at 7 o'clock in the morning and at 9, 10, when we're recording this, it's still hot. This is a top-notch travel mug. I sell this because I believe in it. <laughs> I have another travel mug that I can make tea at 7 o'clock, and by 8 o'clock, it's cold. I ain't selling it because I don't believe in it. It doesn't work. Right. So I think our people, um, in general, we need to be able to articulate what it is about our faith what that it, gives what us life. What it is about our faith that is important to us, that gives us life. And if the answer is, I felt because I've always done it, nobody cares. Like, somebody's not going to show up. And, if you, Pastor Rebecca, would you like to come to church? Well, why would I come to your church? Well, I've always done it. And you go, wow, that's great. I want to always do it too. Yeah. No. Like, that ain't going to happen. Um, it ha there has to be a compelling... Something compelling well, I'm sure when to get someone out of to bed. Our church, their number one thing is our pastors are so awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Okay. So let's let's pretend. Let's pre pretend that's a thing. Right. Let's pretend in fairy tale world that's a thing. And in some congregations, like I think that is a thing. Yep. Like you have this dynamic pastor, very charismatic, and, the, and very charismatic, and the church is all about that pastor. And then that pastor moves on or leaves, and what happens to the church? Well, there's no faith background and you know, it's more of a cult thing, and that doesn't really work. So that, that doesn't fly. I, but if it does, then hey, great, come yeah, on I in. I wanted to start a cult. Yeah, come on in. That's really great. Did. Let's do it. But I, I mean, I think, I think the reality is we have a hard time articulating why our faith is important to us and why we, and why we show up on Sunday. My bed's really comfortable. I, I'm lying. I don't sleep that well. My wife would much rather sleep than get out of bed on Sunday morning and come to church. But it's important to her to be here, and she comes. Yeah, she's actually the one who got you kind of back into the... Ab yeah, the, absolutely. The, the, so, so how did she do that? So there you go. 
<laughs> it was an easy sell. Um, and it was kind of, hey, you know what? We, no, so it started, I, my son um, had not been baptized, was not going to church, because um, I wasn't going to church. We met, and I don't know how long after we met, Christina's much better with dates than I am in timelines. And she's like, we should consider, we should go to church. And I was like, all right. <laughs> Why? And she was, you know, like, Camden doesn't really have a concept of Easter and like we sh I grew up I grew up going to church so so did I. She says, "Well, I'm Lutheran, so let's there's a lot of Lutheran churches around. Pen We're in Pennsylvania, yeah, Pennsylvania, so literally yeah, a lot with, of Lutheran churches within a 5-mile radius, we had like 15 churches to choose from, which is ridiculous. And so for her in in that instance there wasn't a this is why I believe Mm -hmm. I had, I mean, I had a faith, I had a faith base, faith base. Um, I grew up, grew up Methodist, went, went to church with my, with my dad and stepmother on the weekends I was there with them and confirmed in the Methodist church. So I had a faith background. The reason I left the church is because I just didn't, it didn't grab me. It didn't stick with me. And there was, a, it wasn't necessarily a healthy congregation. A lot of really great people, but not a healthy congregation. And it just didn't, it didn't align with what, I, what scripture was for me. So there was no, it was easy for me to just walk away. Right. And, and I did. And then, so when Christina said, hey, we should, we should go to church. And I was like, okay, fine. And oddly enough, our first, our first venture back into the church was on Easter Sunday. Because Easter is an easy time to slip into a church and not be noticed. Be, yeah, yeah right? go unnoticed. However, we walked into that church. We sat in the back, of course, because we could sneak in. Um, <laughs> so we sat like three rows from the way back. Way to be anonymous. Yep, way to be anonymous. And you know, there's this thing called the passing of the peace. Mm -hmm. And there were like three or four families that came up to us and invited us downstairs for you know their coffee hour thing or you know, whatever. And I, we, we got in the car, because that was our first, like, we were church shopping. We got in the car, and I said, we found our church. She's like, what do you mean? I said, listen, I said, the pastor, I love, like, I got the message. Like, I got it. Like, and that's, like, I don't recall that ever happening before. Like, like I, I understood it. It was relevant to today. I, I, I loved it. It was, it was good. It drew me in. I said, and these people treated us like we had been members of that church, moved away, and just moved back into, into town. And welcomed us like this, like it was, it was awesome. And it, it felt like what, I, 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 you know, I know we both hate using the word family, um, in term, but it felt like we were like, mm -hmm. like we were home. Like we were, you were part of something, part of the community. Right, part of that yeah. community. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah. And, and we stuck. And, and to this day, you know, eventually that I ended up in seminary. Yeah. Um, I, but to this day, I mean, we're still, we still talk, you know, frequently with, with various members of that congregation. Um, and, well, that, and that community. And, and, and church shopping can be, can be difficult. I mean, when I was in California, I had a, I don't know, a spiritual awakening, so to speak, in which it was like, you know, I really need to get back into church. I just had this yearning and, and desire for, it, it, just something was missing in my life. I had and, that same feeling. Yeah. And so my first, a, Lutheran, so, you know, was raised Lutheran. So I went to a Lutheran church to begin with. Oddly, I was baptized Lutheran and didn't know it. 
when we went to join the church, I called my mom. I said, where was I baptized? And she was Shiloh Lutheran Church. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm Lutheran? <laughs> hey, Pastor Liz, I'm a Lutheran! <laughs> there you go. I didn't even know. Didn't, didn't know. Um, and so my, my first stop was, was a, a Lutheran church. It was the absolute most boring, <laughs> horrible service I've ever been to. The, I, I remember sitting there listening to the sermon and after about the first 10, 15 minutes, um, I started going, this guy's just repeating himself and this thing could have ended a long time ago. And I never went back. Yeah. It was just not engaging. And, and everybody was old. And, yeah. and I was just, it was not engaging. It was not. And I kind of was like, okay, this, this isn't for me. And unfortunately in Southern California, you don't have a lot of options for ELCA congregations. Right. So you want to know the next thing I tried? You're going to laugh. Assemblies of God. Okay. You want to talk about a complete opposite type of experience. Yes. Uh, the Assemblies of God was not for me. Um, it was also, though, only full of, of older people, um, except for one young lady who immediately gravitated to me because I was the only, I was only in my 20s at this point, you know, so I was the only uh, 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 under 50 person there and she immediately gravitated towards me and was kind of like, oh, God has sent you to me. And I was like, oh, honey, I don't think so. Because <laughs> there was lots of rolling around and crying. And, and Did she and say, where are you from? <laughs> where are you staying? Yeah. Well, she kind of, she did. She wanted my phone number. She wanted, I mean, seriously, she did. Mm -hmm. So it was the, the, yep. the, okay, yeah, let's, let's, let's do this. And I felt bad because I was like, I, I realize you really are, you know, you're, you're wanting some kind of, but this church is not for me. I was like, I'm sorry. I can't do the, the, the crying in the aisles and the, the rolling around and stuff. And I was like, okay, this is, this is a little wacky for me. So I, I, I kind of stopped, I, I, it was sort of, I kind of did these two extremes and was like, okay, I'm done. And then a friend from work said, you know what? Why don't you check out my church? It meets on Sunday nights. I was like, oh, I said. I don't have to go to bed. I said, that is perfect. I said, because I never liked the Saturday night service because Saturday, I'm in my 20s. I'm living in Southern California. Saturday nights are the night to go out. It's not the night to go to church. That's right. <laughs> Sundays, nothing's going on. And it's not morning. I was not a morning person. I watched the movie Swingers. So Yeah, huh? Yeah. One yeah, of my so favorite you know movies. All, so you know all about Southern California life. Yep. Um, especially, <laughs> especially when you're in the Hollywood scene. Yep. yep. Um, actually, I was kind of out of that scene just by then. The but movie anyway. Swingers is not about no. like sex swingers, just no, no, to be no, no, clear. No, no, no. I, I, I thought I needed to clarify that after I said it. Like, oh boy. Although they are kind of looking for... They're looking to hook up, but yeah, it's not, they're up, not swingers. They're young people yeah, in their, yeah. 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 Uh, Carry Vince, on. Vince Vaughn and John Favreau, I think. Yeah, were the, yeah. Were the I love that movie. It was a great that. movie. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, so it was a Sunday night, sir. I was like, well, I'm interesting. I was like, okay, interesting. And they didn't meet in the main sanctuary, they met in sort of like their fellowship hall, kind of gymnasium sort of sort mm -hmm. of thing um, on Sunday evenings. And it was basically the pastor kind of would sit on a stool up front and just kind of talk and whatever. And they projected everything. And I'd never seen that really before either yet because this was the um, uh, late 90s, early 
2000. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't a huge prevalent kind of thing. And what amazed me about that congregation, um, and I think it was a congregational church, if I remember correctly. It's congregational. What, what kind of shocked me a little bit about it was that it had um, all kinds of people there. Like I was sitting next to this girl who was tattooed and, and had had piercings and kind of spiked hair and whatever. And on the other side of me was like this boomer <laughs> aged, you know, got, you know, looked nice and, 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 you know, very, very conservative dressed and, and whatever. Right. And I was like, wow, there's this like whole range of, of people that, that were here. And something that the, the pastor did that I, I still have always kind of wanted to do, but we've just never done it in the Lutheran church because it's, it takes too much time and, you know, how people don't like to talk to each other really, was it was go find somebody you have never talked to before and spend five minutes just, and they would give a question of, you know, just ask, you know, yep. get to know them. Um, an and, introvert's and absolute worst nightmare. nightmare. And I'm an introvert. So I, so I did that. But as an introvert, I also still appreciated it to some degree because it was just a one-on-one -on -one with one person. It wasn't, yeah. I had to talk to a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of not, you know, and I actually, I was kind of like, okay, this, this isn't so bad. I can, I can do this. And I did get to know, you know, like this, this one individual. Now, the, where, where it fell apart for me later on was I wanted to get involved in some way. And I was like, so are there groups for people my age? Are there? And they did not have that. Yep. And then I kind of sort of, well, and then eventually I moved to back to Nebraska and I got involved in the Lutheran church there because my mom went there and we knew people. And so, um, yeah. So I already know the answer. Well, never mind. I'm going to ask a question because I know the answer. So the other night, as part of my, what does the future church look like? Mm -hmm. I'm like, so how much trouble would I get in if we ripped out all these pews? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, you know the answer to that. I know. I know. Oh, you know the answer to that. But pews are so limiting. Yes. You're stuck. It's hard, Especially if you're in the middle. It's hard to turn around and talk to someone. It's yeah, there's just it's just not a not a social friendly no. way to gather. If we didn't have pews, we could essentially set up pods. Eight groups of eight to ten, somewhere in that range. And we could and and chairs would be movable. Mm -hmm. That people could actually set up. We could actually set up the, the worship experience much differently. Yes. Um, there's a congregation in Gettysburg, a Lutheran congregation, oddly enough, that entire sanctuary was movable. Mm -hmm. So they could move the altar and the, and the the stage, the chancel area. They could rearrange the chairs and the pews. So one week you would walk in and you were facing this direction and your vantage point was this stained glass window. 
And then like a couple months later, you'd walk in and the church was completely reoriented in a different fashion, which was really interesting. That's a bit much for me. Yeah, that's a little too much change. Yeah, it's, it's a bit yeah, much. It's a little too much. It's a bit much. Yeah. I get it. But pews are so incredibly limiting yeah. in terms of what you can do in a worship space that I would love to rip them out. Again, it's not going to happen. Don't worry if you're listening to this and you're horrified. And you're well, let's, like, oh let's, my God, so let's not go that far out. and say it's not going to happen. Because <laughs> the Holy Spirit works in mysterious ways. And I've learned to never say never. It's not going to happen in the, in, the, but don't ex- in the immediate future. Don't expect in the next month to walk in and have all the pews be gone. That's not going to happen, I don't think. Um, but it's... You know, again, well, somebody hears that and goes, "Oh my gosh, that's a great idea!" And somehow there's this weird movement that they all, that catches, everybody in this congregation goes, "Oh my gosh, yes, let's get rid of the pews." It I, catches fire, and off we go. Yeah. Um, so. But but think about it for a second. So one of the things that drew you in was you were able to have that connection in the worship experience, yes. which we really don't provide. Well, timing. Yep. Time of day. Yep. What 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 was yep. the time of day? Yep. And I was like, ooh, I can do Sunday evening. Yep. I, I, I got that down. Um, relaxed kind of atmosphere for me yep. was, was important um, at that stage in my life. I've yep. come to appreciate later, you know, now. I've come to appreciate tradition and things like that. But when you're kind of just sort of starting out and maybe the, the tradition has never spoken to you, so here's, understood it. So here's a question. How limiting is tradition? So you appreciate tradition when? Now. Yes. Did you then? No. Eh, no. No. So again, we're talking about being Lutheran and, and the church experiencing two, growth in two, in two segments. We imported them and we birthed them. We don't evangelize them. Flip, flip side was the Assemblies of God was a little too whacked. Correct. So there was something about just the, 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 the calmer kind of... Absolutely. Atmosphere that yep. definitely I was more comfortable in. I was not. So when I was in, when I was in Gainesville, I was serving the congregation in Gainesville. Worshiping as a pastor is really hard. Like you're leading worship, so you're not really worshiping. I don't know if that makes sense. If, I, I, if you've never experienced it, I don't know that you fully not, understand it. Yeah, you're not just sitting there soaking it all in. You Correct. Are, you are thinking about what's next, what's right. next, what's right. my next thing that I have to do. Okay, next is this, next is this. Oh, did so-and-so do this? Is there enough wine in the pictures? Yeah, there's always something there, you're, you're worrying right, right. about. So the actual time. idea of worshiping is really hard. And I didn't, that's one of the things that seminary did not prepare me for. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that we ever talked about actually worshiping as part of being a a leader. So the first thing I did was I'm not going to sit up front and face the congregation. I'm going to sit in the front first pew and face the altar. That was the first thing. And people were like, oh my God, why? I'm like, because I need to worship too. And at least if I'm not up front staring out at you all going, why isn't so-and-so singing? Oh, they look mad. Oh, I haven't seen them for a while. Oh, I have to make, oh yeah, I wanted to talk to so-and-so. You can't worship. So at least if I, fo- if I, if I turn myself and face the altar, that made it a little better, but not great. Um, well, and really, honestly, that should be the way it is anyway for us because everything should be turned, the attention should correct. be on 
the focus Correct. of our worship, which is Correct. Jesus. So one of the methods, right? So mm-hmm. one of the Methodist churches had a Wednesday night service. It was like seven o'clock, and they had this really awesome. This was a huge Methodist church with a ton of money, um, huge campus, and they had this little sort of glass chapel, like kind of set off to the side in the woods. This really intimate setting. And Wednesday nights, they would do this little acoustic service um, that I loved. And I would go about once a month because I, needed, I, I found I really needed to worship. Um, and it allowed me to do that. Now, here's the other problem with being a pastor. When you do have the opportunity to worship, it's really hard to not go, oh, I want to steal that. Oh, I don't like that. Oh, I want to use that. Yeah, you're critiquing and constantly. So you're, you're critiquing and trying to figure out what you can do and what you would do differently. That type of service in that setting, you know, give me an acoustic guitar, give me chairs instead of pews, and this place had chairs, um, and set up in pods and have that, that more dialogue type conversation for worship as opposed to, um, and I think you have a really fantastic, really fantastic thing. And it was, like I said, it was, it was dark, so it was, you know, had that, Almost that Christmas Eve intimate feel. You know, it wasn't candlelight, but you know that 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 kind of intimate feel, kind of peaceful, and you know, acoustic guitar. So it wasn't. You know, I love contemporary worship. I love. You know, every everything we do is is loud, right? Mm-hmm. Like like, people complain that that our nine thirty service is loud. Our eleven fifteen and six o'clock are the organ's the loud. Or, the organ is actually louder, I think. Than yeah. Even our so yeah. again, it's could, yeah. But this service was just so it wasn't kind of rocking out worship with either an organ or or a praise team. It was just very sort of MTV unplugged, um, sort of intimate and very spiritual. Um, That's what I loved about when I was helping with the campus ministries when I when I lived in Kearney. Um, was the the worship services that we would do over on the campus. Um, I would frequently help out the pastor there. She and I were good friends, and um, <clears throat> I was kind of her backup. So I, I, I got to know the students really well, and, and our congregation really supported the, the, the campus ministry. So it was kind of, we'd actually started that campus ministry at one point in time. Um, it was an extension of that congregation. So I was very involved with it, got to know the students really, really well. And one of the things I loved about going over there is was its simplicity. Yep. And that it was now luckily that pastor, she had a background in music. So she actually could like pull out the keyboard or the piano or whatever and she she could play. And and so that that was That's helpful. why I bought a guitar in Gainesville. <clears throat> I bought a guitar because I thought, you know, if I can figure out how to play the guitar then I can do these little intimate acoustic-y worship services, and then I realize I really suck at music. Yeah. But so it I was, hire my guitar teacher. Yeah, but, you know, it was on chairs, or sometimes we even sat on the floor, or, you know. Right, and it right. Was, it, and, and granted, it was a much smaller community from the standpoint of uh, we, you know, double digits, we were lucky, usually. Yeah, campus, campus ministry, generally speaking, you're not talking... Fifty to hundred now, people. Now, to be to be fair, the glory days even of campus ministry at that particular campus was that people were lined up outside, yeah. you know, trying to get in in the '60s or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, those, so there's the thing. Those I mean, those days, those those 
again, a little Bruce Springsteen in my head, glory days. Yeah. You know, we, ha- we still have those memories of the glory days and that's all fine and well, but they're not here anymore, yeah. right? People aren't lining up. Used to be that the, Lutheran, the Lutherans would plant a church and open the doors and people would show up. Right. We actually have to work now. Sort of the, like we sort actually of the field dreams kind of thing. Yeah. Right. If you build it, build they, it will they will come. come. Love and that movie. That doesn't happen anymore. No. And and we theologically are not good or equipped to that come and see. And, you know, you, I, I think we I think we got off on this tangent talking about tradition. Yes. So one of the struggles that we have is how do we because I, okay this this I hope this isn't like like breaking news, um, unchurched people don't care about our tradition. Because it's not... For the most part. For the most it's, it's not, generally speaking, it's not something that is, that is innately important to them. I, yeah. Now, can they, can they learn to love it? Sure. But I think in, in, a, in some ways, in many ways, I think tradition can be very limiting well, in terms of our ability to reach out. Yes. So how do we, where's that bridge? Where's that, I call, where's that sweet spot between sticking to our Lutheran roots and also being flexible in how we present things that are there's that we're able there's a to both draw. and with tradition from the standpoint of um, on the on the one hand if you're not steeped in it in any way shape or form it seems foreign and weird and what is going on yep on the other hand tradition can be a source of comfort and something that really speaks to people. I mean, traditions develop for a reason. Right. Um, when you uh, go home for Christmas or whatever, there are certain things you're expecting in terms of a family tradition or this is how we do things and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And when that doesn't happen, you, you feel disconnected. Um, and when I became a pastor, a lot of my traditions had to change. So can you... Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah. So yeah, my, can, my, my, my family traditions yeah. had to drastically change. I mean, yeah. I don't get together with family now, period. Right. Right. It's just they live too far away, and it's just... And it's, even even if they live closer, yeah. it still changes, right? Oh, yeah. Like, well, I was two two hours away when I lived in Kearney, and yeah, the, the traditions just had to change. Obviously, we didn't do what we used to do on Christmas Eve. We still went to church. We went to... My mom and I would go to a church service, but it usually involved, you know little bit more eggnog and and yep. things like that my, that. my dad and stepmother every year would have a huge like growing up I spent Christmas Eve with my dad and then we'd go to church and I go to my mom's yep and Christmas Eve was having you know family and friends flow through the house all day long and people weren't the only things flowing those days yep. so I get it um, <laughs> and, and here so here's a really weird thing and we've had this conversation you know it's amazing that after X number of years of ministry, how much our families still don't get it. Like, uh, you know, so my dad and stepmother come to visit and they're like, so we'll do, I said, that's, we'll, so we'll go to dinner and then where do you want? I said, don't ask me because I'm not going. Well, why? I said, uh, we have worship services on Christmas Eve. <laughs> like, oh. You guys are going out to dinner before worship? Well, we have another worship before the one you're coming to, and I need to be there before that anyway. So, like, Yeah, and then we have another one after that. And, yeah. So it's kind so. like Christmas Eve is kind of a big deal in the church? Just a little. Yeah. Just a little. I, I will admit my family does, at least my parents get it, because my mother worked in a church. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mine are a little slow on the uptake. Yeah, if you're listening... Yeah, my, Sorry, but you're slow on the uptake. My 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 mom definitely understood, and and 
also got that like the next day was basically you're going to be worthless. Um, you're <laughs> so if when they would come visit, my mom was very much the I'm going to take care of Christmas dinner and all that kind of stuff, even though we're coming to your place, because yeah. I know what it's like for pastors yeah. that day after Christmas Eve. So yeah. on Christmas Day, I know that this is you slipping into a coma um, and just kind of sort of maybe being a little bit coherent here and there. And so she got that. And so that was, that was when, you know, like I said, when they lived closer and did sometimes come, it was, it was a much, she got it. So, but there was still a sadness, I think, where we were not able to do Christmas Eve, what we used to be able to do on Christmas Eve. Because Christmas Eve actually was kind of more our thing than even Christmas. Christmas Day was, the, okay, those are family obligation things. Christmas yep. Eve was just us. Yeah. And just the nice, quiet, sort of quiet. <laughs> but, you know, it was we would have this really nice dinner. And we would, you know, Mom and I would, would spend all this time um, getting the, the, believe it or not, not the Christmas Day feast, but the Christmas Eve feast together yeah. and whatever. Yeah. And then we would go and we would go to our worship service and then we would come back and we would, you know, it was, See, just, we never, it was so nice. We never did like a big, a big Christmas dinner. Like that was not a tradition for, for my family. My dad and I would do Christmas Eve, but that was always like, because people were coming and going and it was yeah. so many people, it wasn't a dinner as much as it was, you know, like, uh, more like a potluck So, so you want to know thing. what we used to do for Christmas Eve dinner? No. What? Lobster. Ooh, nice. That was our thing. We would nice. Do, we would have a lobster dinner. And so, so here's a question. Tradition has, has I don't, I don't want to sound like tradition has no value. Can, is there a way to create tradition, create new traditions that, right? So, so, so our traditions, and we kind of talked about this, you know, you touched on it. Our traditions to someone new walking in are a little funky, right? And we're not, it's really difficult in how we do worship to overly explain in the, in the in the manner which we need to to make those traditions meaningful, right? Well, especially so we're not going to we're not going to pause a... the service and break down. Well, this bread is this, and the wine is this, and we do that. You know what I mean? I mean, it's it's kind of there, but it's really hard to really dig into it. Yeah. So, is there something? Is there a way that you can create a tradition that is more accessible? right out of the gate that is able to draw people in as opposed to... This is weird. Why are you doing that? Right, right, exactly. And again, so many of our people listening, I'm guessing, are more of the church folk, um, maybe our church folk, maybe other churches, don't know. Um, and, you're, and you're listening going, well, what? Like, why would we do that? Well, again, because... We're, we're in the know, so to speak. We know what's going on. We miss kind of that um, fresh eyes that, oh, I see why they, those people, right? Not us, those people. <laughs> those people. Um, one of my least favorite phrases. Um, I, I, I don't know. So I'm, I'm having this wrestling 
Well, and, and here's, over the, the, here's past the issue. Few Even when we break of... away and say we're going to do something that's not traditional, so we have quote unquote contemporary ish service. Um, even that, once you get into it, if you start changing things, the people that are used to it because it's what they're used to doing get a little upset if you start changing things within that. So it isn't about the, 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 the form in terms of it becomes what people get comfortable with. And when you try to change what people are comfortable with, there's always pushback, no right. matter what. Right. Even if you don't consider what you're doing, quote, traditional. Right. Because it has already become for people comfortable their tradition or familiar, even if it's not what we label as traditional because it doesn't have hundreds of years worth of, of history behind it. But it has become their tradition. It has become what they do. And if you change it, heck no. Um, you know, that's that's you know, that's that's not going to that's not going to fly. Yeah. So I. I I don't want to rail on, on quote the traditional people because your your quote contemporary can be just as as oh yeah yeah don't same same problems same issues yeah I don't I don't mean form, I don't mean to label that as a as a worship wars between contemporary worship and right. what, we, what we label contemporary worship what we label traditional worship I was talking about the elements within both of those services yeah. ser services well both of those we're services a sacramental that, church so that becomes a stumbling block I think for um, some people as well who are not steeped in what the sacraments are why we do them. Um, you know, we do communion every single week and because it's important to the people that are here. But for somebody who's coming in for first time, it's like communion can be... So I, admittedly, when I was younger, I did not like communion. I didn't like, like going up for communion. I, I, I would always ask mom, you know, can we sit in the back so we can duck out before communion? I don't know why. I don't really know what was behind that. It was, I think, part of it was just a not understanding and a not, um, and if being an introvert, it felt awkward having to get up yep. and go. Now we had grown up in a church that was kind of, technically, it was non-denominational, but the the pastor was Methodist, um, and we did when we when 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 we did communion, it actually got. We had the, the things, and you passed oh, yeah, them down. Passed you them had down. the little cups that, yep. that you had the little holders in the pews that you could put the cups in yep. um, when you were done with them. And, it, and now in COVID times, that whole idea just like ah. But <laughs> even though and, COVID is not spread by hands and yeah, touching yeah, things, people still, are still yeah jumpy. But that was, like I said, that was kind of the the way in which um, I had grown accustomed to how we did communion when we switched to more of like a, a Lutheran church where you went up front, freaked me out. I was like, what do you mean I got to get up and go in front of people? Yeah. I was like, nope, nope, that's not happening. Oh, and I got to dip the bread in the cup? What if my fingers get... What do I do? Yeah, I don't it, even know if, if that was part of it. Like for me, that was part of it. I, I don't even remember if that was the issue or if they just held the things and you pulled them, you know, because we still, yeah. I think, did, I don't think I did intinction until we started going to Sheridan. But anyway, um, it, it, those can be daunting things and, 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 and unknown things and scary things. And, and let's face it, sometimes when people don't go up for communion, there are other people that turn and stare at you. Because well, it's, uh, it's one thing to just pass it on if you don't want it. It's another thing to, to still be in the pews while nobody else is there. Sit there in the pew while everybody around you gets up and goes goes up, for, up front. Yeah. It it that can be a very unwelcoming yep. way in which to deal with. Or 
you have, so we had someone here this weekend um, visiting, and the ushers came up after communion and said, oh, there's two that need communion taken back to them. In reality, there was one that needed communion taken back to them. So in that, in that instance, that person was... Felt weird having I, to tell I, you I, no. I would imagine. And unfortunately, so I knew that because that happened the week before. And I didn't this week, I didn't, I, I, I sort of assumed that the usher asked specifically and said, would yeah. you like communion? Did not. Went, okay, so person with a scooter has mobility issues, therefore needs communion, needs communion even though I didn't ask. They made the assumption, you know, happens yep. when you assume. Um, so I get, again, it's, so how do we... I don't know. So I consider this an invitation um, to wrestle with these questions, right? Because I think, I think it's... So it, I'm pretty sure what, what Jesus was inviting people to come and see had nothing to do with what we were really talking about in terms of tradition versus non-tradition and that kind of stuff. Correct. I, I, I think Jesus, what he was offering people to come and see was kind of what his ministries were about. Correct. Um, so, which is still which is still completely relevant, right? Because yeah. we should be doing but the same thing. The question as church. being, what are the barriers to seeing? Yes. When you invite someone to come and see, what are the barri barriers to seeing what this Jesus person is about? Yeah. What are what are so one understand what your what drew you to come and see, and what continues to draw you to come and see? Because you have to be able to articulate that. What are you looking for? Invite other people to what come and see. For? I forget the statistics. But there's like 75, it's, it's higher than 75% of people that attend church for the first time attend because they were invited by someone. Mm -hmm. And I, I, wonder what that, I wonder what that average is, that percentage is, if you include just Lutherans. Yeah. I bet it's lower because we don't invite people. Um, so one, why do you? Two, invite people. And then three, like, let, let's, let's work on looking at what those barriers are to actually that prevent people from coming and seeing Jesus, right? Right. Because that's where it's at. I mean, that that is the church, and I think I, I think there's a couple of simple answers. One, um, we got to stop just sitting in the pews, right? And maybe instead of waiting for people, and maybe that's the problem with this. Wow. Um, maybe the whole problem with this whole conversation is we're talking about people coming to us instead of the church going to them, because really that's what the church needs to be. Mm -hmm. Right, the church needs instead of us sitting here going, "Oh, come and see us." We need to go and see the community because that's really where the rubber hits the road. That's where the ministry hits the road. It's why I love the soup kitchen. You know, again, people are coming to the soup kitchen. And we're not going out to them, but again, it's it's sort of an invitation for us to engage in the community who are not worshiping in our pews on on Sundays. So, yeah. All right. Well, I think that is about it for our time. We exhausted this time and barely talked about the text. We, yeah. Good which, stuff. Which I, I think was your goal all along because you... you it was you know. not. <laughs> it was not my goal. It was not your goal. To, let's just not talk about John. But I get, you know, I get so... I don't know if it's... I get so excited and wound up about, you know, these ideas of what the church can be right. moving forward that you give me an opportunity to talk about, you know, this come and see and, you know, tying this, these texts and these phrases that, that Jesus offered, um, you know, can we struggle with those and then come back and, 
like really wrestle with those ideas. Like, what does it look like? What does the church going forward look like? Because the church, even in the last two years, I, we can sit and we can say, oh, it's all COVID's fault. I think really what's happened over the last two years, year and a half, two years, whatever the time frame, whatever, wherever you want to start counting it, what's really happened is COVID has exposed what was already happening in the church and, and accelerated it. So if you put, if you put a fire to like leaves and stuff, they're going to catch fire. If you throw gasoline on them, they're going to catch fire quicker. They're still going to burn. It's just a matter of how fast it burns. I think COVID has been sort of that, 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 that uh, gasoline on the fire that, that's ignited um, and sort of exposed the church. Yeah, and, and made us recognize there are certain things we're going to have to change um, and, and ways that we're going to have to move forward that maybe some people don't necessarily aren't completely on board with, don't like, whatever. Um, but to borrow a phrase from scripture, do not be afraid. Yes. The church, not. the church Fear has not. existed for 2000 years. Yep. Fear not. It's not going to end tomorrow. It may look different because it looked different 2000 years ago than it does now, but do not be afraid because next week is the wedding at Cana. It is water into wine. Water into wine. I'm still working on that one, folks. I was going to say, not the, not the you sermon. You actually like that. The one. actual trick, trick of, of turning trick. water. If I could do that, man, my we would save so much money. <laughs> that really sounds. It also make, be really popular. It makes it sound like my wife drinks all, drinks wine all the time, which no, she does. She does not. But anyway, all right. Well, actually, we probably we. we we can do a podcast next week. It'll just it'll be have late. to be late. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a little later, later getting uploaded and stuff like that because I am actually going to go see my family since I didn't get to see them over Christmas. Yep. So um, have a great week and have a happy new year. Bye, everybody. Bye.